0: Scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 15. Because these are the words of God and not the words of any man, um, please stand. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came, drew near to the house, he heard music, dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: good morning. Read a story like that, you don't even need to preach, right? Some good stuff there. Um, A few things before we get started. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and my wife, Kelly, who typically leads worship, she misses being here today. She had tendonitis surgery on three fingers, and she's got, what do you call that thing, that SpongeBob thing on her hand, keeping it upright, and she has, but she has those feel-good pain pills, and um those have been good for us. I mean, for her. And uh, <clears throat> just kidding. But, but pray for us um, because I am the caregiver, <clears throat> and I'm not really a great caregiver. But, but we're working on it. She is good at telling me exactly what I need to do at every turn, like a little ding, ding. Yesterday I was like, are your legs hurt? I shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> just just the hand. Just... Anyway, she's enjoying that. I'm enjoying that. Um, The other thing I want to do is I want to uh, welcome the newlywed Tyson and Rebecca Presnell. Where y'all at? In the back, back there? Yep, they still look tired. Um, I think it's great. They got married um, two weeks ago, right? Is it two weeks? So y'all been married for two weeks. Y'all still love each other? Yeah, they. Oh man, they are so in love. Um, I'm not jealous, but um, you uh, appreciate. I had a chance. I did the uh, wedding for them, and it was great. So um, good to see you guys here as one, as a married couple back there. Um, And uh, just in the context of marriage, we've been watching this royal wedding thing all week long, haven't we? Um, I got a little tired of it. but man, what a refreshing situation considering part of the mission and vision of our church to have diverse community, to have people of color at the royal wedding. Um, it was a little different with the gospel choir in the black preacher and the white preacher. It was very Christ-central over there in England. Um, so I praise God. Only God could do something like that to help us um, see that. And, um, look at that, but along with that, of course, the news of the shooting in Texas, and I want us to continue to be prayerful, and I want us to be sober-minded as we talk to each other about this issue. Um, And um, just after watching um, Childish Gambino's video, This is America, and just some of the things involved in that video is really, really um, a lot of heart-wrenching for me between that and then actually seeing what happened in Texas. It's a shock, y'all. It is, it inst- the problem is it's starting not to be a shock anymore, and, and that's a problem. Um, so let's be prayerful. Let's be mindful. Let us be, um, let's be diligent about doing what we think God is calling us to do in this situation. And um, from this position, I'm not going to tell you what to do or how to vote or what bill needs to happen. But we do need mercy from God in this situation. It is ridiculous so let's continue to pray on that um, as we continue in our sermon series on the mission of Christ Central Church um, this week and next week we'll not only wrap up this part of the mission statement on engaging the world but it will end our series and it makes me remember that uh, Brittany Gardner right she is in Greece this her little crew over here um, she's in Greece um, she is a missionary. Um, for SIM, and she is in Greece somewhere in the Grecian border um, between Greece and Turkey, I think. And and she is working at a refugee camp. Um, A lot of people in the Middle East and Turkey are fleeing their countries and seeking asylum in other countries, one of them being Greece. And some of these countries have put uh, fences up so that refugees can no longer come. And along the boundaries, um, little refugee towns with thousands of people are beginning to form. Um, little towns with no sewer, um, I mean, no sewer lines, no water, um, and just people living in, in, in shacks and makeshift um, homes. Um, if you want to just, because when Brittany told me about it, I remembered, wait, I know about this. And the reason I know about this is because, you know, your pastor watches documentaries. and. On Amazon, um, if you go, there is a documentary called The Human Flow. And um, if you were to watch that documentary, the whole thing is on refugees um, fleeing their countries and um, these little camps being set up. You should really look at that. Let it prick your heart. Let it cause you to pray for Brittany, who's over there. And praise God that Brittany and SIM and people are going over there to make a difference, so check that movie out, The Human Flow, and then when Brittany comes back, you're going to be like, I know what's going on and, and get in getting. so um, anyway, okay, I don't need this pen, but it's going to bug me that it fell, so we continue in our sermon series on engaging the world, I think it's important to bring up the fact that we are out there engaging the world in different ways, and in our mission to engage our world today, we will see that this world, our world, needs nothing short of a big brother. And I mean that not as a gender distinction, because I was writing my sermon, like I said, big brother and big sister every single time. But in Scripture, when we see sons and we see brothers, um, oftentimes those are not gender distinctions, but a role distinction, regardless of your gender, that goes along with the story that we read today. But it means to be, Big Brother means to be passionate about the world like our Father God is passionate, which means three things I want us to see today. It means that we live in our Father God's passion for the world, it means believers should love their Father's passion for the world, and finally, believers should live out the Father's love. For them right live uh, for God's passion love God's passion for the world and finally we should live out of God's love for us and to see this we're going to look at a parable um, a story Jesus used to teach his followers about the gospel and this parable has to be top three of Jesus' parables and so some of you are familiar with this one Today we're going to focus more on the much overlooked older brother in the story. Because unfortunately, like the older brother in the story, I hate to admit that many of us believers, so-called believers, when it comes to engaging in this world, we are as lost as the so-called lost people in this world. But we will. What we will see, but what we will see, is that it is the passion, right, the, the drive, the heart of the father who represents God in this story, that gives us hope to be the big brothers we are called to be for this world. So we've read the story, um, and in short, the youngest son in an out of order fashion. That means out of order because he's coming before his father is dead and before his older brother gets his inheritance. And he asked for his inheritance, like, I can't wait to you, for you to, be, to die, old man kind of fashion. I'll just consider you dead. Give me mines and let, let's call a clean break, right? Let's call it a clean break. Get the lawyer in here. Let's go to the lockbox, cash in the insurance policies. I want mine. Not for college not for a business venture, not to go out and make you proud, but to get the heck out of your house, away from you and your faith and our family. I'm ready and wanting to no longer live like a son. I want to be my own man. And he goes, and in shaming, silly, uninformed, yet very familiar fashion, he blows all his venture startup money on wild living and all that kind of stuff and ends up not only being a pig farmer, not kosher for Jews at all, he ends up being jealous of the pig food he is so hungry. So when you are jealous of slop, you know you've fallen off big time. And he decides that he can just be hired as a servant back home and get some working class food and treatment with his dad. And just so you know, this story would have been very familiar back then. This is like the ancient Middle East version of Slick Rick's bedtime story. (laughs) Who knows that story? Who's who's old enough to know about Rick the ruler, right? And at the point when the younger son is sitting in slob or turned to a life of crime to get ahead, Jesus should have and would have, if he was a good Jewish teacher, he would have been expected to end the story with something like Slick Rick did. He would have said, this is the way I have to end this story, right? Just another case about the wrong path, straight and narrow, and your soul gets cast. And the crowd in hearing Jesus would have rightly responded like they did, slick Rick, knock him out the box, Christ, knock him out, right? That would have been the end of the story. You see, the story would have ended, sadly, to teach us a lesson. But Jesus wasn't done. And this thing gets ridiculous, right? Like, like a movie, you know, movies that go too long? Because Jesus goes real extra with the part about this father that makes you think, wait a minute, he's turned a corner here. The story should have ended with the son did wrong, y'all need to do better, right? But he turns the corner and he keeps talking about the father and it might make you think maybe the teaching is on how not to be, how not, how not how to, right? Sorry. How to be a strong, moral father. Don't follow this father's example. Because this dad is like a patsy, man. He's a weak man who, who is out there every day looking for his son. And when he sees him, the Bible says, he lifts up his robe. Yeah, they had those kind of robe things, right? And, and, and embarrasses himself. Imagine sandals. They didn't have Nikes back then. They didn't have running shoes. Running to this fool and looking like a fool himself and falling on this dirty son and gives him his robe, his shoes, his ring in a wedding-sized party and then invites the whole town to see what a fool he is for being excited over this jackal of a son. But the parable is just starting because here comes big brother, the one who has done everything right. Here he comes from working hard in the fields and is like, please don't tell me. Please do not tell me this nut dad of mine has wasted more money on this son of his with a party. You got to be kidding me. And he even scolds his dad. Like, look, dude, not dad, right? You're stupid, right? How could you? I am what it means to be a son, and I'm out here slaving, and you, you do this? And the father welcomes and calls the big brother to something in that moment. I hope we are called to. To live for this broken world. Look at verse 20 with me. It says here, and he, came, and he arose and came to his father. This is the youngest son. And then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him then contrast that to the older son in verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dance. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated Seeing if I should read the next verse, no. It is clear that the older son is focused on his life, and his life is focused on his passion for himself. And being good enough. While the father's focus, his life is driven by seeing, by, by looking out, by, by living, looking, and hearing about his broken son. He is faced towards where his son is coming from because he is looking for him. The Bible used this word about the father for his young son. Compassion. That means with passion. It is God's passion. He is driven from deep within for those who are worse in our minds. He is driven and has passion for the most disrespectful, irreverent towards him, broken people that he has called home and looking to bring home to be his. And though we don't know who exactly he is looking and waiting for all the time, we know it is, hear this, not those who are already here. It is not those who are behaving or have it all together or those who are easy to be around, or easy to see, but those who are, as the scripture says here, afar off. But not only that, the father's place and where he stands in contrast to the son's is striking. The father is at the end of the property, right? He's facing the road. He's facing and ready to welcome and run to and meet his son. His life is positioned towards and where the lost son is, is with waiting and inviting hospitality. Now, some commentary. Commentators believe that word, probably got back, that word probably got back to the father of his son's distress or, or that the father, being wise, knew it was just a matter of time. He knew his son. He knew it was only a matter of time before one or two people would come over the horizon, either the sheriff with a notice of death or his exhausted son. But the father was there, y'all. He was in the boundary. He was in the border of life and death, of separation and reconciliation. And big brother was not there with the father. Some believe it was his job or should have been his job, and I do too, to join the father in his passion and be where his father would like him to be. That that, that is going out and finding his brother or being where he could be found. See, he wasn't truly, like he said, Father, I've slaved all these years for you. I've worked all these years. I've worked to please you and make you happy. But the truth of the matter is, he wasn't really working for his father or for his father's pleasure. If he were working for his father's pleasure, then he would be with his father in the boundary looking for his younger brother. He would not be coming from the fields, but he would be in the city looking for his brother, with his brother, or, or news about his brother, or out in the boundary with his father, working and living all up in his father's crazy passion for this lost one. Believers, so-called sons and daughters of God, where is your passion? rather what, what what does our life say how and where and why are we living and looking for where where we where we live and why are we living there it tells us about our passion for our father god and how he feels about the lost I'll say some hard things it's hard for me to hear in this country and especially in charlotte for Christians, for believers, for church folk. It just seems like the goal appears to be work hard to get as far away and protected from the crazy people. Using any privilege God has blessed you with. See, I don't have this in here, but it just hit me. like So the, the younger brother takes the father's inheritance and he spoils it. He squanders it, Right? The older brother has all the inheritance and he squanders it too because he doesn't use his privilege to do what the father would want him to do with it. He uses his privilege to stay home. He uses his privilege to stay away from his brother. He uses his privilege to isolate himself from the father's true passion. just seems like we use any privilege God has blessed us with to make money and stay working and work away from, from the dirty and the broken and bad character folks and people who hurt our, our cultural uh, evangelical superiority or, or work ethic or, or affect our kids' chances. I'm with you, y'all. When I drive up 77, I love being in the suburban neighborhood I'm in in Huntersville. Right? I love that. But even there right? It it doesn't escape. Well, let me move to this community, and let me move over here. It never goes away. There's always a boundary. There's always a border. There's always a place for us to live out the Father's passion. And I have to say, you know, even there, I have yet to have the heart I need to have looking out for and living in the boundary for my neighbors that are there. I just want to keep a safe distance. But if we look at the Bible, we will see what, for some of us, like the older son, we'll see a horrifying to us picture of how God is. And he is all turned out and thirsty for the lost. Why does our God have to be like that? He's all out there. He's talking about, hey, go get this person. Hey, meet with this person. Hey, have this person over. And we're like, no, why do you have to be like that? Just leave us alone. Quit acting like that, God. He's going where we think he shouldn't. He's looking for the strays. He never gives up on the most broken people. Like the father told the oldest son, come in and celebrate. Join me in my passion. The Lord is calling believers to be brothers as big brothers who share a passion for their loss and broken and hurting and disenchanted and even stubborn and stupid acting potential brothers and sisters. As we walk across the railroad tracks and walk across the street, as we open our doors and live our lives with an open door welcome in a, in, in a in, in way and go out on our porches and even just look at and for who is lost and, and hurting out there at the soccer game. Or going to the neighborhood pool. When I go to the pool, I like to form the Brown family circle, man. We have this little floating basketball hoop. Not not the real nice one, kind of the the dumb-looking one. We'd be throwing the basketball around, dunking. And we play so hard, we just hope that irritating little kid doesn't want to play. Right? That's just, y'all want to be real? Like... we're going to 21. We got a game going. Or seven straight up, right? And, And you could just see the little kid's eyes looking. Don't come over here, boy. You could drown. You could get hurt. And then Kelly's like, y'all are taking the whole pool up. Y'all are, y'all are you know, here we are. We, 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 we are the darkest ones in the pool most of the time. You know how that is for you people of color. Like, what you doing, taking up the whole pool? Everybody looks scared to get in, right? And I'm like, well, that's their problem. <laughs> then some guy, hey, they saw me walking up my Clemson's Hey, Clemson man, y'all ain't gonna win it this year. I'm like, oh gosh, why? And it's like God saying, go over there and talk to him. Right, go meet them, and I did, and we beat all their teams last year. But I'm, I can't wait to go back to the pool this year. But understand, right? You got a pool. That's a, like a privilege, right? Like, and you using that to cut yourself off? These things are not just for your leisure, but so you can see, so you can look out, so you can be in the boundary. You got a job? What? You have a job? Like using our, we we talked about this last week, using our jobs and places and even our student statuses or our privileges we talked about again last week. Y'all, whatever they may be in positions in community, like our community groups, even in ministries at our church, they should be launching points into the world and our professions and stuff that God has given us, that our Father has given us and blessed us with and use them to see and be and live where he desires us to engage them with our Father's compassion. Passion for them, as big brothers and sisters, we are not only called to live out the Father's passion for the lost, but to love it by loving mercy and loving grace. Look again at the contrast here between the older son and the father. Verse twenty-two. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now let's keep going. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dance, dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound." But he was angry and refused to go. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, "Look, these look—that's bad. Look, man, right? Look, brah. mm I love that look. No." Okay. That old man's strength to get you. You think he can take dad? I don't think so. Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never, give me, you never gave me young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him... Father's passion is mercy, which is so opposite of the older son. See, the younger son was right. He did not deserve to get anything. Anything a son should get, and we'll come back to that. But he is asking for mercy, y'all. And just being given a job as a servant in his father's house. See, mercy is like justice satisfied, right? But at someone else's expense, right? Whether you are guilty or whether you're victims. Do you see it? The older son is Right? his brother has killed and destroyed all of his chances and has put himself in a place to be taken advantage of by an evil world. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. And even if you weren't a Bible person, everybody kind of believes consequences for bad decisions and being stupid and having bad character means you reap what you sow, you make your bed, you lie in it. Or people, rather, are forced in this, in this world to reap what someone else evil has sown or left to sleep in a bed that someone else has made. But mercy says you reap what I or God has sown, that you lie in the comfort as his bed or my bed. Why? Because of mercy that I'm not going to take justice on you in the way you deserve or let justice have its way in the way it deserves or or have every right to, to, or let injustice have its way with you. I'm going to intervene. The older son working in the field is saying, things are transactional, Dad. I work hard. I should have gotten this. You work, you get good. You squander, bad. It's true, it, it, and that is true. It's moral empirical thinking. Bad things happen to bad people. He shouldn't have left, Dad. He should have worked hard. Let him pull himself up by his own bootstraps. So what if there was a famine in the land and all kind of evil schemes out there? That's life. I made it through with hard work and moral living. Y'all ever heard that one? I worked hard. I was good. Right? We, I mean, our church, we got a, y'all some good kids, a lot of y'all. You actually believe it. It's hard for you to believe in mercy because you really believe you were the good kid and that's why you got everything you got. And you look at other people, you think, mm hmm, that's why they that way. Somehow, that thinking has become Christianity. <laughs> How did that happen? Dang God, that ain't Christianity. That sounds like some other kind of crazy stuff. I don't know what that is, but that ain't Christianity, right? And, and, and somehow it's become that. The older son is not acting like the son of this father. Some of us aren't acting like the son of God, right? The, the son, daughter, sons and daughters of God, we're acting like we grew up in a different house, right? You know what the Old Testament book of Micah says? It says this, that, that God has shown you, O oh man, and what is good and what God has required of you. Like what God's required of you, the law. So live well. Get over and past it. Right? right. Pray harder. But that same verse about God has shown you these things says what? To love mercy. It means those of us who are believers should embrace what God considers right and wrong and respect that and love that. I'm for the law. Beautiful. But we should also love mercy. How can I put it? We should be happy. Oh, it's so hard for me. I, I, I don't know, y'all. Maybe I'm a goody two shoes too. But, but we should be happy and advocates and hope for mercy for those who have been broken by the world and broke their world too right? Hey, we both got a toy. You broke yours up. Too bad, right? But we should be glad if someone says, here, you broke your toy. Let me give you another toy. What? I would be mad immediately, right? But we should not hate mercy like we do. And the reason we can hate mercy is that we believe deep down, somehow, that it lessens our work or or devalues what we have done and weakens the strong resume and real reason we believe God's favor and love is on us. See, the real reason we believe God's favor and good is on us, and this is why some of us hate mercy so much, because we are the good, durable, moral, surviving kids, if I give what this person does not deserve or who can't pay it back or if we help them out of their bad situation, you know these folk, they just going to get back in it again, right? Then what does that say about my own work ethic and why I'm really accepted? I am working, and I've worked for nothing if I give something I have, my time, my talent, my resources, my good name, my privileges, and reparation. If I put all that on the line for that person, what does this say about me? God is calling us to love to relish, let me say this, being rebels of God's mercy, to to give and help and serve those we see and God has put in our lives to show mercy, to show undeserved benefits of God and our privilege to other people, to give it money and power and platform and hearing and protest and respect and food and dignity and forgiveness and absolution for the lost and sold out and stolen away parts of their humanity that they may have squandered or more Twisted, twisted, and may squander again. God is calling us to show that degree of mercy because it is His passion to be merciful. But big brothers are not only called to love mercy, but love God's grace. See, here is where it seems like the father has gone too far, way too far. The son, he right. The youngest son, he, 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 he entered in the right door, the back door, right? He comes to be a servant. But the father gives him stuff that says, the ring and the robe and the shoes and the party, all that stuff. You know what it says? I'm giving you more than mercy. You are restored and received as a son. You are forgiven with a party and everything. And the older son does not respond to the brother or something. As a matter of fact, he calls him what? Dad, this son of yours, not my brother, right? God the father has a passion and love for showing grace which is restoring the broken relationship between him and those who have fallen off into sin, that we could have more than a transactional relationship with God where we get some of the goods or get something through the window, but that we would be welcomed in to be a part of the family forever, even if we walked away or fell off, that God would make and call and celebrate us all the time as permanent, no matter what, Sons and daughters drawn by his grace. And grace requires a party. And a party requires a sacrifice. Death to give life. And the father says here in verse 23 let's kill the fattened calf. I want your sins forgiven, and I want God thanked. Let's spend more money, right? Let's let the world come in. Let's throw a grade A party. Let's take the animal that might be put on an altar for God and for something good and let it be there not only to honor God, hear this now, the fattened calf, not only to honor God and his goodness, but guess what God wants to do? He wants to honor you, a lost person who's come back as a son and daughter. Isn't that amazing? God shares His stuff. He shares and celebrates His good name with people who have gone off and ruined their own name and God's too. Kill the fattened calf for God. He deserves it. And guess what? God wants it killed for you too because He loves you so much and wants to share what He got with you. That's the kind of God you serve. My mom would go shopping. I told y'all this. My brother, he had a lot of hungry friends. Hungry friends. And they, they act like they didn't have no house. Like they didn't have no mama. Why are they always coming around at lunch and dinner? Why? Hey, how you doing, Miss Brown? What? what? What's, what's going on? And then if that ain't bad enough, they would clean the pot It'd be eating up. Uh, where's my seat, right? I'm the oldest, but where, 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 where's my seat? Where, where's my place? And my mom would be so happy, y'all want more? No, they don't want more. You better not say yes, no. And is she cleaning the dishes? I mean, this was some stuff. She washing the dishes. They downstairs watching, what? Get in the yard, do some, lo- like, my mom, she loved it. And she would talk to them. How you doing, son? Tell me about what's going on in school. Arr! That's my mama, right? If it weren't bad enough, she'd be going to the grocery store, buying stuff. I- I- I'm going to get these grapes because Chucky liked grapes. Chucky? <laughs> we don't have no brother named Chucky. You mean that trifling friend of my brother (laughs) that comes and every... And he just come into the fridge. Hey, what's going on? What in the world? Get out of my house, y'all. Wait, this ain't my house. This is a hard one, y'all, because believers have made... We have made such a mess of evangelism. It makes me uncomfortable. But evangelism is a big brother seeking to gain or regain a sibling, and celebrating them, it means making the lost person a celebrity. Right? Seeing the broken and lost among us as the most important when we're out there, right? As the most important cherished guest, because God may have already decided to adopt and receive and restore them. You just don't know who they are. That's your brother or sister. Don't you know the world of unbelievers or alienated and discouraged believers is the makeup of the church? (laughs) That each one of you, any one of you, had to be adopted by God? Nobody goody-two-shoe their way, toe-tap their way into this church. Right? No. And if you did, we'll make sure you realize you either got to get out or come back in the right way. Right? Nobody in God's church in the history of the church got in because they were good enough, but because God was gracious enough. And the whole church is made up of orphans who God has called to be his children, right? God the Father wants to adopt and renew adoptions. And our brothers and sisters that are lost are out there, y'all, and separated from an undeserved benefit and father that could be theirs. Our brothers and sisters don't have to die. They can live again. They can be born again. They can be renewed and forgiven. They can have a father they didn't know they had, right? There are brothers and sisters in this world, orphaned from their predestiny by sin and the world and the father wants us to join in welcoming them that is what evangelism is following through on the adoption paperwork welcoming them to their own adoption party caring and bringing an invitation to what may be their own adoption and sonship party you see the older son like a lot of us believers think that engaging the world is about living here hear me Living as an example of uprightness. And that somehow is all it means to be passionate about God. You ain't upright enough to do what only God can do. And yet having and limiting the relationship we have with God, we do it, by it's just transactional. As good enough, that's offensive to God. Do you know if we think um, that, that people should come and, and kind of be good like we're good and kind of be drawn by our upright example, that's the same thing as daily living your white life in a way that says, look, God, look, brah, I'm living right, right? The folk out here, they, deserve, they, they, they should come to me. I, I shouldn't come to them. We, we, they got to earn theirs. Look, 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 look at me, God. And, and some of us get along in our Christianity. I know I have. And, and you get kind of believing you doing all right. And it is kind of hard because God spoils his children. And sometimes I think, you, you, you know, your sin gets in and you trick yourself into thinking you getting all of God's spoils because you're good. And as much as I say, please, Lord, don't let sin or brokenness affect our people. Some of y'all, y'all had to be broke down to remember, right? You're here because God's gracious. Not, look, God, right? Look at verse, um, look, look at this again, what happens. So he, he, he's, he's angry the Bible says in verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go and his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed you, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property, property with prostitutes, the worst he could do, right? You, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father, you know, it's funny. The father didn't say anything about the son's hard work. What? So the son says, you, look, look, you see the, the sweat droplets, dad. <coughs> I've been in the dust all day. Like That's me, dad. Look, look, you ain't you give me no fat fat and goat. You, you didn't give me a, you, you didn't give me a, a motor scooter. You, you got him a car. I got a, you didn't even get me a bicycle, man. Look at me, walking from the field. Can you get a bike or a scooter or something, right? A tractor? You, you gave me nothing. And what's the dad's response? It's not, you're right, son. You've been working hard. Right? He never talks about the hard work. His address is actually, t- actually tells a story. He says, son, in verse 31. What did he want him to know? I am your father and you are my son and all your good works are nice, but this whole setup, hear me, y'all, has nothing to do with your performance. Well, what's it about? If you're a parent, you should know. It's just about having you close to me as my son and just loving you as my son and just treating you like a son and my joy in just fathering you and spoiling you with my love and hope and you growing from that just to be able to be with you and you with your brothers and sisters. That, 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 that doesn't seem right. There's got to be more to it. But look how God answers here as the father. No, son, everything I have is yours. Come on, celebrate. You can have anything, right? I love you. That's why God is driven and passionate about the laws, because he is passionate and driven to father the world. And so knowing and experience that, we should be passionate as well. You know, my dad, now a grandfather. Lord, have mercy. You know how they transform on you. Maybe I'll transform one day. I don't know. We go to their house. When the boys were little, four and six, six, three and five, be like 10. Y'all know how three-year-olds are at 10 o'clock at night? 10, 10, 30. Maybe we took a long drive from Charlotte. It's Friday night. We just left work, drove down there to be there for the weekend with our boys in Charleston, with my dad. And we get in there. And, and my dad has this den, right? And it's a split level house. So on the very bottom level is this den. It's small down there, y'all. It used to be big, but now it looks small. He got his desk in there, the TV in there. It's set up for just him and mom because they're empty nests when she was alive back then. And, and we would bring them in there and my boys would be like, just bouncing off the walls in this small space. And me and Kelly, uh, we'd be stressed. Time for bed, time for bed, time for bed. Hallelujah, time for bed. (laughs) You know what my dad would say? No. And he would say, I'm the dad of this house. No. I'm like, dad, dad. They're, they're going to tear your stuff up. They're going crazy. You watch them. Make sure they don't tear nothing up. I just want to look at them. What? <laughs> what is this? I just want to look at them. What? I just want them close to me. I don't care if they break stuff up. I don't care if they tie tired. Ain't that right, Grandma? You, you don't care. Amari's mom's here. She don't care. Right? I, 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 just, I just want to look at him. God, the Father, just wants to be with y'all. That's Christianity. And the more you know it and are around him, for some reason, the scandalous nature of it, you, you grow to obey him. He just want to look at y'all. He just want to see y'all interact with each other. It's not about performance. Oh, sure, great. He loves when he hears the boys. He did, they did what now? What kind of grade they got? Like, he's so happy to hear it, but that don't matter. No one struck me here. We can only be big brothers for the world and be driven for God's passion for the loss and willing and loving to extend mercy and grace if we big brothers are made children ourselves again. When his father calls him son in verse 31 and then says, all I have is yours, you know what he was doing? Putting him in his place. You are a child. And that's not a shameful thing. That should be relief to him. Because it means that God, the father, I got this. You are the child and I love you because you are my child and I am your father. And whether you did good or bad or failing or slipping or succeeding, bottom line, that is it. And knowing that, hearing that should free you to engage and come into the joy of receiving your lost brother. I mean, what has happened to us, y'all? How have we as believers become so moral? Moral. have we only become a tool of of a political and moral non-gospel movement of just being good people? What what happened to us? How have we become so lost in the fields of performance that we've become so broken by working for acceptance and living out the work ethic of the world that we are angry at grace and weary of mercy? Maybe we have forgotten and never learned that we are just children. I'm the oldest, which means if something broke or something goes wrong, my dad used to say, "Howard, I blame you." Hated that. You watch your brothers. I had two younger brothers. Watch your brothers. I'm gonna go back there. They didn't have Home Depot. It was build a rama. I'm going to build a rama to get some stuff. Watch your brothers. Okay, something break. Howard. I'm like, they did it. They did it. Howard, I blame you. You're the oldest. <laughs> And then the pressure of being the first kid. And for some of you, being the golden child, got to do it right. Maybe this oldest son is trying to make his father feel better about what his other son didn't do by being nothing like him. Some of us are trying or like that, right? We're trying to work to escape the way other sons and daughters or men or women or people have been in our family or we're running from the curses of the race or gender or hypocrisy. It is noble. And maybe you should be applauded for your performance, but it is exhausting to live like. That And it will take your passion and joy away. Think on that. What is driving you to do and not do in your life? It can really suck to be the big brother. See, the Bible tells us the father went out from the party to the older son. Now watch this. The dad leaves the father's post at the party. That would never happen in this culture. And he came to him. To come out like that would have been the role of possibly or most likely the older son on behalf of the father, but the older son went on the outside. The gospel story is this. God came to us as the father God, as father God sent the son of God, Jesus, to find all brothers and sisters, to go out to us, all us, go out to us big brothers and sisters to minister to us to remind us to restore us to show us his nail prints to show us how he was slaughtered to make the party have life and to disciple us again and again to call us back into the father's joy and party and in that, that makes us big brothers realize we have and need a big brother too in order to be a big brother to the world. Your relationship with your big brother Jesus will determine and drive your passion for the world outside of yourself. And Jesus never lets you and me just be big brothers and big sisters. In fact, you and I can never have that much passion. In fact, you and I can never be the passionate big brothers God is calling us to if Jesus hasn't made us feel and live like his little brother. Trying real hard can just make us bitter and angry. You see, discipleship and being a disciple or brother who will be an older brother or sister, someone else, only happens if Jesus is coming over and over and over again to reach us in our shame, to reach us in our stubborn hearts, finding us, living transactional. If you are not having Jesus come to you like that, over and over, forgiving and just reminding you that you are forgiven and forgiven because you are a son or daughter of a loving, passionate father, turn to him, your big brother, who's already turned towards you. The world needs a big brother, and Jesus is that Brother. Let's pray. Lord, we've forgotten, many of us, what drives the heart of evangelism. Be with us. Remind us. Come out to us like the Father came from the party. Remind us of why you keep holding on to us, why you love us. Let that passion and that fire fuel us, Lord, to go out and tell others and look for others and greet others and call others to the celebrity of being lost people God seeks to be his some of us need some real freedom today. We are in a performance cycle. Break the cycle. Let us know you just want to see us. You just want to spend time with us. You just want to be with us. That's discipleship. Lord, I pray in this church that you would be with us, that you would disciple us, that you would be our big brother, that we would have interaction with you in our community groups and Bible studies and participation at church, help us to find those places in this community where we can experience you like that. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us in that story that the son came to us.